There is nothing wrong with your internet. Do not attempt to adjust your settings. We are controlling the podcast. We control the squealing and the screams. We can make your heart flutter, your eyes blur from tears, or sharpen your mind to crystal clarity. For the next hour, sit back. We are in control of what you hear. We repeat, there is nothing wrong with your settings. You are about to experience the awe and mystery known as the female mind. You are now entering the Fangirl Zone. Things are only impossible until they're not. Welcome to the Captain's Chair, a podcast on all shows in the Star Trek universe on the Fangirl Zone. I'm Chief Engineer Steve, and joining me on this mission into the unknown is... Sean Fangirl S. You sure you're not Cyber Sean? Or Replicant replicant Sean? I cannot (laughs) expose what I am at this time. Whoa, okay. Control. (laughs) Control. Okay, Cyber Sean. This is Redshirt David. Tonight we'll be discussing episode one of season two of Star Trek Picard. Or is it Picard? It's Picard. <laughs> I was like, Pecan, what? Pecan. Well, we do know we're getting at least three seasons of Picard. So Yay! that is definitely good news, especially if Terry Metalis is involved in both of them, which I do believe he will be. I was so excited when I was looking up a character on IMDb. I'm like, season three? Did they give us a date? No, I'm super excited though. Yes. I've been laying, I've been laying on the butter to Terry. You're a okay, genius, good. dude. You're a genius. <laughs> Love you, man. <laughs> Come on our podcast. Yeah, he is right. still the nicest guy. I did actually interview him once for press room. He is so sweet. Ah, ah, he is. He's so nice. Anyway, there's another name to drop, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. John's already interviewed you once, so let's... God damn it. (laughs) You got my business card, Terry. Give us a call. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Shall we do the little synopsis for episode one, which is way better synopsis than we've gotten for some of our shows in the past? Good grief. Episode one, The Stargazer. Starfleet must once again call on the legendary Jean-Luc Picard after members of his former crew, Cristobal Rios, Seven of Nine, Rafi Musica, and Dr. Agnes. <laughs> I was doing so good. Girardi. I screwed up her name. If you pronounce it <laughs> drunken Girardi, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> As they discover an anomaly in space that threatens the galaxy. Because, really? hey, everything threatens the galaxy, apparently. How small is this galaxy anyway? <laughs> like from one end of the my street to the other? <laughs> I still love, there was something that went out a me. It was like, how come they all showed up and they're all the same way? Like, oh, it's like you're in space. You don't have any point of reference. How is it some of them aren't showing up, like, upside down compared to the other sh- uh, Now I want to yeah. see that on screen. I'm just throwing that out there. They use stellar cartography. That's how I, I use stellar cartography. It's an app for it. Just go to the uh, uh, Google App Store. You can get it. That's it's awesome. <laughs> it is awesome. Watch out for little tentacles coming out of your phone and plugging into your <laughs> Sirius XM, though. 
So take us away, Dave. I will. (laughs) I don't know where I don't know where we're going, but follow me. (laughs) A group of Starfleet officers are making their way through the corridors of the ship, all casual and stuff, smoking cigarettes, which has been boarded by hostile forces, taking the turbo left of the ship's bridge. Once there, they find the Borg technology interfacing with the ship systems and attacking the bridge crew. Jean-Luc Picard calls for the ship to activate its auto-destruct, and it counts down to zero. He finds himself facing a Borg queen. And I know who it is. 48 <laughs> hours earlier at Chateau Picard. I hope everyone's bought a bottle of Chateau Picard, by the way. You guys ever have one? No. Nope. You can really oh, get oh. one? Yes. Are you Shut kidding? Up. I gotta get one now. <laughs> you can get it on the internet. You know that thing? And they also have it at my local package store. So awesome. <laughs> it's very good. It's very good. Picard goes through the vineyards with his dog, number one, to the tune of Time is on My Side on the record player. As Animated grape picker picked through the fruit to be made into his family's wine. And it, it is good. I, I'm telling you guys, it's easy to get. Laris, his uh, Romulan housekeeper, oversees the boxing and laving of the fresh bottles. Housekeeper? Ugh. Come hey, on, I'm man. Just saying, that was like cheating, the way they're harvesting and bottling and labeling. I'm like, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> I, I wanted to see them shipping it out using a transporter. Just go poof, and there it goes. Yeah. Right to someone's living room. Yes. The new bottle's here, honey. <laughs> Later that evening, the two toast in a number of Earth languages, and Picard remarks on how the day was easily his favorite of the year. The end of the season, a confirmation of hard work well done. Laris concedes that that was one way to look at it, and Picard asks her why. Uh, Laris replies on a Romulan phrase, which Picard is able to translate as seize the day, for we know nothing of tomorrow. Wow, clever Romulans. Jeez. I wonder if we did something like that on Earth. Yeah, we did. <laughs> <laughs> She can see that the day was glorious, but none of their tomorrows were ever certain. Picard offers a toast to Lara's late husband, Shaban, knowing how she must miss him, adding, she does as well. I can barely remember losing him. Lars admits she's still dead even after a year and a half and mentions that they had been promised to one another at birth per Romulan custom. But they did grow to truly want to love her. Aww, each other. She points out how Romulans do not suffer loss as humans do. They love deeply, and when they lose someone, they honor the love by loving again, even more deeper still. Wow. When she first came to work for Picard, she saw him as a man who belonged to the star, but now wonders, has he been seeking or running? Realizing she may be growing too personal, she apologizes, but Picard encourages her to continue. She asks him point blank, why have you chosen to be alone? He points out that he is hardly alone. That's a dodge. But he knows that he's <laughs> not what Lars has meant. Picard yeah. concedes he is a man who has reached the stars, but Lars presses him. Was that all he really wanted? He admits that not what he really wanted often is to stand in line behind what is his sense of duty. They need to keep moving. Oh, what a dodge. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Leaning closer to him, Lars asks what his heart would do if he suddenly decided to stop there and now. Oh, boy. I wrote a note on that. Oh, there it is. Oh, yes. I wrote in capital letters, kiss her, JL. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) He leans forward as to kiss her, but hesitates. She notes it was late and had a speech to give the following day before rising to leave. Come on, John Luke. God. He had the perfect opportunity. Uh, and you could tell it as soon as they sat down. Yeah. It was even before I found out that Javon had died a year and a half ago. It was like a year and a half. It was telegraphed. I mean, he's literally breathing on her chin. And (laughs) if you're that close to me and you're in this moment at this point, it's like, I think this would be the time. Speaking of the time, if he's (laughs) some type of (laughs) replicant (laughs) and she wants to kiss 
boom, chicka, how, how, how is he not going to be? That's right. How is he not going to be the last Picard? How do they fix that? That's a good Ooh. question. Because this can't stand. Oh. This, this cannot stand. I, right. I'm drawing a line the line <laughs> in the Picard stand right now. I don't, I don't know how they're going to fix that. Uh, but I have a feeling this is something we're going to have to watch going forward. That's interesting. I didn't think, I just assumed it was going to be he was going to adopt Elnor. Look, honey, I got you a son. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> I don't know. Well, we all know you know who's going to come into the season later on. <coughs> Prince Spider. <coughs> yeah. <laughs> so there might be something to that. Okay, just throwing that out there. What, here, we saved this in case you needed it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's going to be so weird if that conversation happens. Or there could be some family. Okay, for the G-rated version, will be some family DNA that's kept in storage. Because, of course, they save everything in the future. Right. Right. We okay. have a, we have a seed it. storage place up in the... Cold it's Antarctic, a, so yeah. why not? It's <laughs> like a giant banana. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, stop it. <laughs> okay, where are we? I might have to tap out. Oh my god, you guys are killing me. <laughs> it's a legitimate question. I mean, it, it's, it, it's like the Star Girl. We do Star Girl, and it's like, when are we going to learn who the real father is, and is she a legacy character? And so, and this applies here. I know, but it, this is, is it going to be the last offspring, or what? Or is there a future in the Hello yeah. Laris? This totally took a right turn. Turn <laughs> left, Donna, turn left. <laughs> if we start seeing a lot of X's and Y's in the background, wink, wink. <laughs> right. Alone with his thoughts, Picard finds himself in his mind's eye, alternating between his younger self and his current self, entering the grass cupola. See that, Steve? I could pronounce cupola. On the roof of the house, broken at present, intact in his past, and hearing the voice of his mother, Yvette, behind him. She calls him her little Magellan, that's my friend Jackson. And the young Jung Lu comments that he could have sailed off to the edge of the world. Yvette tells him that Paris was just a transport away while his father Maurice rooted around in the dirt and his brother Robert was at school. They could create their own world there, clearing out the vines and painting the window. That's so sweet. I really liked her. Jean-Luc asks if that means his parents would fight less and if Yvette's face falls. Oh, that's sad. Who could believe Jean-Luc Picard's parents actually had that much difficulty with each other? Right. You think, think you know, perfect guy, perfect past? Nope. Nope. In the present, Picard stands in the ruins of the greenhouse, holding up a piece of glass with a rose painted on it, and begins experiencing traumatic flashbacks for a moment before turning to that memory. Did you guys notice during the beginning of the episode when they put Jerry Ryan's name on the credit, that rose floats by the piece of broken glass with Right, yes. Yeah. yeah. Put that in a bank, too. Yep. <laughs> okay. You better assures him that, of course, they would fight less, but if he should hear them shouting to remember how tiny their voices were from up there. Look up at the stars, Jean-Luc, she tells him. Look up. As the President Picard does so, the view pulls back from a distance away from Earth as the USS Avalon detects a strange spatial anomaly. I wonder what class that ship that was. Was that a Voyager class? I couldn't tell because the, the thing got spun over like it was in the washing machine. Right, yeah. <laughs> It kind of looked familiar, though. I think we'll find out later on. Okay, back in, the, in his home, Picard goes downstairs and looks up at his bookshelf while Laris brings him a cup of little gray tea, now cold. He is seeking a book with a green cover and gold lettering, a first edition. She finds it immediately and hands it to them. Come on, chocolate. You know what I noticed about the bookshelves? First of all, there's a lot of heads. On, well, not a lot of heads. There's a few heads on stands, and that makes a lot of sense when you see episode two of season two. Also, there's a lot of like dolls and figures sitting on the shelves. And to me, that that reads automatons or robots or 
whatever, Harvey's. Right. <laughs> so he tries to explain. What? No feedback? You guys don't like that I theory? I was just th- no. I mean that that's a really good theory. Like that it like is telegraphing what's coming. Whereas Thank you. I Thank was you, just Sean. thinking, oh, this is just like him collecting stuff. Only it's way neater than my stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so much stuff it's, uh, With my piles of stuff everywhere. Uh, he tries to explain about what occurred that previous season, but Lars chalked up to him <laughs> being himself. Ouch. You yep. sure there's nothing? Yeah. He sure there nothing is to change, but Lars feels it is too late for that. That going forward, things would be awkward between them. She felt too old to be awkward. Damn you, Jean-Luc. Yes. <laughs> he then remarks on how, even in their age of transporters, he manages to be like, yeah, how do you do that? Picard gives an address to Starfleet, Capanum referring to how space has always been considered the final frontier. But as he grew older, he began to realize the true frontier was time. Uh-oh. Oh. <laughs> Make a note of that. Yep. In command, yep. as in life, one did in crisis often weighed less heavily than one wished they had done. What could have been? Time offered many opportunities, but rarely second chances. As and a step forward went, he wanted to acknowledge the first Romulan cadet at the Academy, Elnor, standing in front of him. There were so many great human moments in this episode. Yes. It was so missing last year. It was so cold. Now they're like cheering each other and they're friends and happy. I love that. And as Picard said, may you all go boldly into the future, freed from the shackles of the past. Ding, ding, ding. Yep. He continues, yeah, as he claims to stand before them as the last Picard. Well, I already spoiled that, but I don't think he's going to be the last Picard. Nope. I mean, that was nope. very specific to say. Be like, hello, yeah. Starfleet, and all of you cadets. I'm yeah. the best of my lineage. It's like, thanks? You know how many young ladies in that crowd are like, oh, no, you don't. <laughs> Just that. Kirk. Hey, it happens. Come on. Come he, on wasn't the, he wasn't the horn dog. It was Riker. <laughs> was uh, like over, all over uh, everything. That doesn't say they don't want to volunteer. Remember uh, Indiana Jones when the girl was in the front row <laughs> <laughs> with a message on her eyelid? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it happens. <laughs> He notes how his ancestors had contributed to exploration on Earth and in the early solar system, but chooses to leave them with the words of his mother, who had not been an explorer. As a boy, she would point up to the sky and say, look up, Jean-Luc, and let's see what's out there. Meanwhile, for La Siena, our band of parrots searched the cargo for hold for Seven of Nine, who is armed only with a wrench. Come on, Seven. Feeling movement nearby, she swings the wrench only to go through one of the Cristobal Rios' holograms, Emmett, who tells her in Spanish that something is going on outside. Seven tells her she's a little occupied at the moment, to which Emmett shrugs off and moves off. One of the pirates calls Seven to show them her ugly Borg face. That made me mad. Are you yeah. seriously, dude? I'm just thinking, really, ugly Borg face? Are we looking at the same person? I know. (laughs) What? Yeah. Time to vaporize that dude. She manages to disarm and knock out the speaker who finds himself under the fire from another. Taking cover, Seven decides to another attack, telling them that the medical supplies they were trying to steal belong to the Fenris Rangers. Their answer is more gunfire, and Seven takes cover and asking Emmett for help. He proves to be something of a distraction, even dramatically yawning as one of the pirates shoots through him and points out that he was helpless. Seven, while pummeling another pirate, disengages the holograph safety protocols, allowing Emmett to tussle with the pirate shooting through him. She could actually have a whole crew of Emmett's or whatever if she oh, wanted. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just trying to figure out why, after you shot through him the first time, did you, you keep continue? Doing it. Yeah. <laughs> keep doing it. Hey, this thing isn't working. Yeah. No, we find out Jerry Ryan had said in an interview that Seven got rid of all the other Rios's. And I only kept Emmett. Darn it. Emmett doesn't sound very Spanish, though. No. 
As Amy tosses the pirate to the deck, Seven charges at her and tackles her over the railing and spilling onto the lower deck, which is always awesome. A million times, but awesome. Seven thanks Seven for his help, and he acknowledges with a silly salute. Mon Capitan. Tying the pirates up, Seven beams them off the ship into, into space where they collapse upon themselves and into an ice cube. <laughs> I'm kidding. They probably went to jail. Emmett remarks on how the humans continue to act with fear at the sight of her Borg implants. Hashtag not ugly. Seven expresses <laughs> regret at merging the holographic program and wonders if there was a way to disable the therapeutic plugins. Emmett assures he won't hear it from him. <laughs> she finds her phaser and holster still on the captain's chair. Shouldn't that be hanging off that sexy hip of her? Oops. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what Emmett reported outside. He had detected a spatial distortion with tachyon fluctuations and a large spike in hawking radiation. None of that got my attention until he said hawking radiation. Yes. Yep. <laughs> and brings it up screen. What the hell is that? Seven wonders as she stares at the anomaly growing on screen. On the planet Rareton 4 in the beta quadrant, Dr. Soji Asha proposes a toast to her table mates in both Federation standard and the local language. Hey, Steve. Yeah. I almost gave this four out of five sexy Sojis, by the way. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Since the ban on synthetics had been lifted, she had been traveling for more than a year, noting that trust could not be built through an interpreter, but through words spoken from the heart. True connection can only be forged when the heart is spoken, she concludes, the local tongue to the approval of the table. You know what rhymes with spoken? What? Broken. Nearby at the bar counter, a visibly drunk Dr. Girardi remarks on how Soji had run one subroutine on making toast and was suddenly the belle of the ball. A man <laughs> approaches her and offers her... I like her, her drunk. <laughs> yes, and offers her her hand and begins remarking on how hands could have created such a wonder. <laughs> thinking perhaps Girardi was a synth or being one himself. Yeah, I think like, in the oh, credits... Okay. He's known as the handsome Delton. That's his credit. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yep. Girardi recognizes it as an attempt at flirting and remarks on how her relationship lasted less than a year, including being cleared of murdering her previous boyfriend <laughs> under alien-induced psychosis. Just saying. No, yeah. That's something you usually open with. Just saying. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you're drunk and like... <laughs> Maybe you hold the crazy in until after a first date. Yeah, a little pillow talk. <laughs> Suddenly, her communicator goes off, much to her relief. Rios, on the other end, is confused, saying that never speak to me again was the last thing Girardi had said to her. Soji walks along with Girardi, relieved to get a break, jokingly worried that she'd have to break into a medley of Delton folk songs. She was oh, able to hear that Rios had called Girardi away when Soji would remain to continue being charmingly diplomatic. Okay, this is going to be a little gross, but I think... Oh, no. Well, nah, they won't go there. But I think Soji could have the love child between... <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Picard and Lars. <laughs> thanks, Soji. Thanks. <laughs> Is that too out there? <laughs> That's out there, all right. You can only see my face right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, send a picture. When Girardi clarifies that by here, she meant eavesdrop with her super robot hearing. Soji points out that Girardi had asked her to monitor any potential drunk hailing incidents, <laughs> so she applied that to drunk answering as well. Yeah, Good thing. It's easier than drunk dialing. Yes. <laughs> Girardi thinks this is an exploitation of a technicality and promises to call as soon as she knows they'll be back. 
Soji wonders if Girardi will be able to work with Rios, and Girardi admits that the idea made more sense when they were back on Earth. Soji admits she would never say, I told you so, but points out Rios' new job has a lot of pressure. I bet so. I just mm-hmm. want to say, if this is the only time we see Soji until, like, the end, that's kind of BS. Yes. <laughs> I don't she, think so. She'll be back as the love child, Dessel. <laughs> Wait a minute. Oh my gosh. USS Soji. What if we have seen her in this episode and Dave, you were wrong, and we just didn't see her face later? Uh Aha! Another possibility. No, no. No. It says seven. It didn't say Soji. (laughs) That was the countdown. Tinfoil hat theory engaged. (laughs) Drug yes. How it could be before beaming back up to the ship, a Starfleet ship, and Rios is in uniform of a Starfleet captain. Yay. The order- <laughs> oh, really? Yay. Yes. <laughs> Just the way you said it. Okay. He orders helmsman Kimmy to set a course as quick as possible without flying into a sun and orders <laughs> Lieutenant her turn. U-turn. U-turn. He then explains to Girardi that a subspace anomaly has been detected and Starfleet is ordering them to investigate. He admits he needs Girardi's help and she remarks that was kind of kind of him. Kimmy reports the course is set. Dale Rito's orders it Spanish for make it so as he lights a cigar. Vince, when has that been allowed on the bridge? He kind of reminds me, what was the name of the captain on Jaws? <laughs> <laughs> that really gruff, I don't know his name. Oh, I don't know God. what you're talking about. Was it Quint? Yes, Quint. Yeah. Quint, he wouldn't, I don't know if he ever lit up a cigar, but he was kind of rough like that. Uh, Girardi comments on keeping up the legacy and points out it was his own fault, as no one expected him to accept command with baggage. Rios's ship is the USS Stargazer, a ship named for Picard's first command, the Stargazer, then goes to warp. Back I think the ship. original Stargazer only had two nacelles. Yes. Yeah, and it's an S4. So, hey, upgrade. Yep. Back at Starfleet Academy, the cadets receive their assignments as Picard walks with Rafi. He mentions he is considering an update to the Kobayashi Maru scenario, a test Musiker expresses her dislike hmm. of. Everybody hates that. So what would the update be? Kirk running across the bridge naked? <laughs> <laughs> Boimler. Naked, yeah. man. Boiler, yes, of course. Card has been named Chancellor of Starfleet Academy, which Musiker notes as being his way to focus on Starfleet instead of his private life. That was a little... On the nose? Yeah, just a little. Everyone's a shrink in this show because they love him. (laughs) Ricard retorts about asking about Seven, and Rafi acknowledges that she had to be out there helping people, wondering who could be more important than that. You think they'll develop that relationship? I don't know. Honestly, yeah. I, I kind of thought they were going to tiptoe around everything anyway. Right. Maybe at the yeah. end. So going. Yeah, I three. thought the same thing at the end. Yep. Picard can see that Rafi would like to be that important, but she admits she had her hoping for something more. She comments on how both Picard and Seven were so damn self-sufficient, she wondered if they even got lonely. Oh, come on, man. That makes you sad. Yeah. Meanwhile, Elnor receives his assignment to the USS Excelsior as Picard approaches, glad to see him before he left. I always thought the Excelsior had a big butt. (laughs) (laughs) Every time I hear it, all I think of is Stanley, though. Yes, Excelsior. He's excited about his future in Starfleet, but worries about his excitement may be affecting his studies. 
Picard offers him a quote from the book he had found, Spock Memoir, The Many and the One, about the challenges he faced as the first Vulcan in Starfleet. Exhilaration enhances the absorption of knowledge. Really now? Yeah, well, okay. In other words, Picard concludes, live a little, as he hands Elnor the book. Oh, yeah, so yeah. get romance in your life, jean I was going to say, there are studies that show you study better after, you know, a little boom, chicka, mop, mop. You know, maybe he's telling Elnor, hey, there's some hot chicks here, man. Don't do what I did. <laughs> Elnor thanks him as Rafi approaches to instruct him to report for departure. Rafi is also assigned to the Excelsior, commenting that Elnor's absolute counter will get his ass kicked, so she is watching <laughs> over him. I doubt it. <laughs> yeah, nobody kicks Spock's ass, that's for sure. Yeah. Yes, but he just seems so much like a child that he just says whatever. Uh, right, yeah. So happy. At least Spock would be like, let me bring this back a little bit. Yeah, he would give it the old eyebrow raise. Right? Yes. <laughs> the orders go out for officers and cadets to report their ships, and Picard bids Rafi safe journey. After she leaves, he looks over to a plaque honoring the old stargazer. Meanwhile, the current stargazer arrives at the anomaly, and you turn, reporting that it <laughs> appeared stable. Roddy sarcastically comments that a rift in space-time did not constitute stability. She's got a point. Yeah, you turn. <laughs> Lieutenant Singh at communications reports they are being hailed. It is seven from the La Serena. Wouldn't it be awesome if Lieutenant Singh actually sang everything she said? Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> now that we would see on Lower Deck. Yes, it right? would. <laughs> Rios is dismayed at the damage done to his ship. How dare you? <laughs> which Seven corrects it was hers now and remarks on the violent nature of her work. Just then, a massive burst of static sounds come through the comm. Singh runs it through the translator, but finds it inconclusive. Even intoxicated, Gerard <laughs> is able to figure out the cause. It was not one language, but several, all pleading for help. They were saying the same thing. Help us, Picard. I like how she ducks underneath that yeah. thing <laughs> and then stands up there and does a little curtsy. Okay. Yeah, okay. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I like that whole thing. It's like, yeah, just let her do it. We're not even going to deal with this mess. It's like, just let her go. Well, they should keep her drunk for the rest of the series. <laughs> <laughs> she may end up that way. We never know. Give that girl some hooch. Picard beams to the Forward Avenue Historic District in Los Angeles, entering a bar at address number 10. Inside, <laughs> we see Guinan is looking over her drink when she hears him enter, thinking she will need a cup of hot Earl Grey, or Earl Grey hot, excuse me. Piping hot. Maybe something stronger. That's never good. It's like, no, no, no. We're going to pass my usual and go to something that burns for real. Yeah, I like the way it says she hears him enter. Yeah, no, she didn't like, hear him. She felt him. It's like, what the heck? It's not like he's puffing and puffing walking in. What's going on? <laughs> she addresses him as Captain Picard, though he whispers that he's an admiral now. To her, however, he's always going to be captain. He offers her a bottle of Chateau Picard for her private stock. I love that he had the bottle in that little net. Because I've yeah. seen that before, him carrying that around. Guinan comments that with him nearly a century old and her several, keeping things in reserve should not be among their priorities. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> he points out that the, and this is where I'm going to screw up because I never knew how to say it for alienness, right? <laughs> I don't know. You mean Elorian? Elorians? Oh, okay. Elorian. 
That makes more sense. It just doesn't look like the way it's spelled, I guess. But they age slower than humans, but Guinan clarifies that it's only if they choose to. Given how most humans feel about their mortality, she tries to keep up. Which I loved that they explained it that way, because now you don't have a bunch of people going, but she's not supposed to look like that, or we right. a ton of money on special effects. Yep. Ta-da! Simple sentence made it all good. Guinan can see that he's not here reminisce about the old days, but there must be new troubles. So what's the what is basically what I was waiting for her to say. Because she's been with him through countless disasters and has not seen him look white as he is now. Then corrects herself and says, as she's grabbing a bottle of sorry yeah. and brandy, as the wine isn't going to cut it. God, it doesn't. Say these. <laughs> Picard explains he has loved before, sometimes quite deeply. But Guinan thinks it was only with those with whom he would only be with temporarily, so he knew it would never basically take root. Which, I don't remember there being a whole lot of... No, there wasn't. <laughs> I'm like, am I missing something? I mean, I know no. I didn't watch it quite as religiously. Okay, so I feel better, because I'm like, what? What am I missing here? Oh, his romances? Yeah. It was that one episode that was like an alternate timeline. He was always in a blue uniform, and he never made it to command, even though he wanted to. And someone told him, like, <laughs> yeah, sure, someday. And he had a, a girlfriend at Starfleet Academy. He wanted him to do better, but he broke it off with her, too. I'm like, well, uh, first strikeout. And, of course, there's always Beverly Kosha. Well, that one I remember. Oh, and then, oh, what was her name? The, from the, ar- yeah, the archaeologist. The love planet. Yeah. Oh, wait. <laughs> oh, right. oh, I loved her. That loved weird her. shirt that had, like, that hairy chest exposed, that part. Right. Oh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I remember. Oh, my God. Anyway, he asked if she takes him for the fearful sort, and she acknowledges that he has done many brave things of a kind. Wow, that sounded like a backhanded compliment to me. (laughs) Picard laments that particular ship has sailed, and he watched it leave. And of course, at this point, Guinan's like, that's ridiculous. Saying that it's (laughs) too late is just crazy. I love it, because it's like, you got plenty of time, Guinan. Quite sure about Jean-Luc. I mean, he's enhanced, so he'll be around for a little bit. Enhanced. Sorry. Enhanced. (laughs) Um, Yeah, we'll see how that works out. Can I interrupt briefly here? (laughs) I'm going to have everything that you said just stuck in my head, by the way. (laughs) So, top 10 Picard romances. There's Kamala. That's number 10. That was Bumke Johnson. (laughs) She was an empathic metamorph, a rare version of her species that could read feelings and blah, blah. Anyway, she taught. Uh, and there's oh, An- yes, yes, there's yes, Anji. You guys one. remember Anji from the movie? Oh, the, the movie wasn't that great, but she was. And there's Janice Mannheim, who was played by Philip, the Mamas and the Papas. Yes. So pretty. And there's Marta. Oh, yeah, Marta Bonatis. She was the one that he met in the uh, Starfleet studies. And, of course, you know, he ruined that. He had a schoolboy crush. And there's Philippa Louvois. Remember, she was so stern. This article says they had a sizzling pairing, and I'm like, really? Yeah. Makes sense that she's super combative Starfleet judge. Oh, that's right. She was a judge. And then there's Nella Darren. And uh, that's, oh, that's right. When they did a flashback episode, and Nella was endangered on an away mission. Picard faulted in his job because he was worried about her. They decided that being together wasn't for the best of the ship, and she faded into the background. Wow. Oh, and there was Aline. Aline was when they did that fast forward episode and uh, Picard was bald and he had like 
tufts of gray hair along his temples. It was not good. He didn't even know who he was in that episode, I think. But she was like his wife in that. Do you guys remember that at all? See, that was the one where Don't. he he actually his, got possessed by a what turned out to be a, a memory dump of a yeah. civilization <laughs> that had long yeah. been destroyed. Yeah, and his, his real life son was in the episode playing his son. Isn't that correct? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. And number three is Bosch. I love Bosch. Yes, I love Bosch. Bosch. And then number two is Beverly Crusher. I don't know why she's not in this episode. <laughs> and the number one girlfriend to Jean-Luc Picard, according to this list, is Adventure. Come on, man. <laughs> Come on, man. That's oh thanks to God. Screen Rant. Thanks, Screen Rant Adventure. I don't remember her. <laughs> there you go. Go go ahead, Sean. Sorry, I just had to cover the romance angle there. Well, now we know all of his romances that we've seen. Bosh, Who knows if there was a few more? Because we know the only thing he's risked was his life more than his heart. The bones, not his heart. Hey, they said bones. Yep. <laughs> well. Not that kind of bone. Oh, sorry. sorry. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Guinan reminds him that there's worse things than being dead. And the only thing he ever thought he was afraid to explore, well, whether flesh and blood or artificial, was his own heart. Oh, well, it kind of goes with everything we just said. Yep. <laughs> what Dave just said. It wasn't really a we there. And when she asked what happened that he never chose to talk about, guess what? He never chose to talk about it this episode either. <laughs> <laughs> So apparently we're never going to find out. No, we oh, already what? found out. It was that his mom and dad were always fighting as a kid. That's what I thought, too. Yep. Absolutely. I thought it was something that. more with that. Well, yeah, I think room. there was something more because some of those flashbacks that he had back to his childhood looked like there might have been some major abuse stuff going on as well. Yeah, she got dragged off. Yes. She looked yeah. like Dr. Midnight dragged <laughs> off into the shadow zone. I was they... like, what is happening with this? Not good. So we have Guinan giving her normal advice, <laughs> kind of. She well, at least understands. And the answers he seeks are not there. They're in the stars. Or are they? <laughs> Never have been there either. But she also I suggests was... that, hey, let's drink. Because... One final frontier yet to come, and they toast to that. And I'm guessing that means death, but I guess it could be love if he actually decides could to be. take that jump. Yep, absolutely. I was wondering if Guinan's hat was capable of a saucer separation. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> just in case of big trouble. Saucer sap. She's just like a little person or a little tiny body and a big head, like, in <laughs> like men in black. Is that what it is? Yeah. Fly away. <laughs> Now that's in my head. Thanks so much, Dave. Go back to the sex part if you want. <laughs> How about we go back to Chateau Picard? Because we get a visit from Fleet Admiral Sally Whitley, who apologizes for dropping in, but there's a sensitive matter at hand. Oh, great. This could only be good. Because, hey, we've encountered something unique in space, and we wanted to get your eyes on it. Again, nothing but good things could happen here. Yeah. Is this in the eight Easter egg section, the Admiral? No. No. Okay, we'll bring it up right now. It's April Grace. So. It's April Grace, who was on five episodes of The Next Generation on one episode of, oh, what was it? Deep Space Nine? I think it, was, right, it might have been yeah. Deep Space Nine. Okay. Yeah, that's so cool. I'm so yes, glad. They, they bring keep bringing back uh, people. How would you like to work on Star series. Trek again? And like, yeah. F, yeah, I would. <laughs> Hell yes. I love that they're doing this, and like it's not necessarily like somebody who was like front and center. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I need some more of that. Show me the cash. <laughs> I will be on next. Picard, of 
gently, of course, is protesting. Oh, there's more qualified people than me. And yeah. then Whitley explains, oh, yeah, but much stuff's happening. And all right, bottom line it for you. It's a distorted broadcast that's coming out of there, and it's saying, help us, Picard. So, yeah, you need to come and check some stuff out. Which, I feel like that would be the last person you'd want to send, then. I don't know. Looking at what he's done in the past, like, maybe you don't send him there. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe it's just me. But Whitley explains that the transmission falls under Article 15, an entreaty to join the Federation, and apparently they only want to speak to Picard about it. That's a little wide. Uh, yeah, <laughs> real wide. Yeah. Yeah, as soon as that happened, I'm like, That's mm-hmm, the red sure. flag me. Right? <laughs> I was like, Wait a minute, no, this yeah. can't go well if they're asking for Picard. Somebody's <laughs> got the, uh, <laughs> yeah. a grudge to I 100% take agree. out. You say grudge? Yes. I'm just like, this is this is not good. Not good. And when she holds out the com badge, I love how he reluctantly accepts it. Yeah, I, that's in quotes because really, I know. Just like, bye, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> Give me see that girlfriend. Yeah, because Laris returns and all she gets to see is the shuttle leaving. It's like, you didn't even close the doors, dude. You're like, okay. Reluctantly, my butt. But <laughs> ran. Well, at least they'll always have Paris. <laughs> In my head, I literally heard, I'm going on an adventure. It's like <laughs> the end of, you know, the back end of the shuttle. And then next thing we know, we see the shuttle come out of warp. I didn't know the shuttles can go that far in warp because I'm assuming it's not super close to Earth. But hey, they're next to the Stargazer. And Card is pleasantly surprised to see Seven waiting for him as well. So they walk corridors and I love the crew. It's just like, oh, <laughs> attention. Damn well better. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, wow, they're supposed to come to attention that far out. And I did actually ask my husband, not that he was in military, but he was in police for a little while. And when he was at the academy, he pretty much said, when you're at the academy, if you see any officer, like, you have to, like, jump to attention like that. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of funny. I'm like, wow, you're not even close. It's like, wow, well, pay attention. <laughs> you can, you can I would believe be in this. so much trouble because I don't pay attention to anything. Just go bleep, 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 bleep. <laughs> Oh, we have Picard, of course, impressed with the new Stargazer, because who wouldn't be? But Seven, well, apparently isn't, because she's reticent, because it was based on research from the artifact, the derelict Borg cube held by the Romulans that were the bad guys last season. But hey, we're just so cool about everything, even though Starfleet's still afraid of everything Borg. She just sounded a little resentful. I have a tinfoil hat theory about that. Take it away. Okay. And we should be like <laughs> sponsored by Ronald Rapp at this point. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. So, how do they penetrate the defensive mechanisms, the shields of the uh, Stargate so easily? Because they're using Borg technology. What are you doing? They exactly. have a back door. They have a back yeah. door. I mean, I guess they assumed they were never going to pop up again, but... This is... I, yeah, they're using them like, oh, this will be good for us. Ah, crap. Right? Yeah. It's like, oh, Oops. no. Who would have thought this could ever happen? I know. Where'd they come from? And Seven sitting there going, mm-hmm. What Told you. Yeah. But when they arrive on the bridge, Rios calls, Admiral on the bridge, and of course the whole crew jumps up. I was waiting for one of them to fall over the way they <laughs> jump so fast. That's a little comedy for me. Picard remarks that it's certainly sleeker than the old Stargazer was, and hey, the older, and they got refits, and it's younger than they look, unlike himself. What's going on? And I, what was I it? Thought it was, I thought it was a little too dark. It was sleeker, yeah, but is that too dark? It's not, it's not exactly cheerful. You know, I swear like, everything looks dark on like, uh, these shows anymore. It's like, can you turn the lighting up a little, please? Yeah. 
surprised I'm not tripping over everything. No wonder Girardi had to duck under that thing. Well, Girardi, of course, is still hungover, and she's talking about, oh, Luke, <laughs> you look positively positronic. It's like, oh, <laughs> don't, don't. Please don't nice. start flirting. This is getting weird. You're already drunk and things are weird. Stop it. But Party Asprios for a status update because he's got to jump right into everything Captain-like. And Picard decides, well, I need to do this. Let's do this. Do, do I need your permission? Does he really? Because when he orders hailing frequencies, was anybody going to stop Picard from doing anything? No. Yeah, I didn't think so. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, right, because Rios is going to be like, I'm the captain of this ship, Admiral. <sighs> oh, wait. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that wasn't happening. But hey, they try hailing the anomaly, and there's no reply. So they try again, only for a legion of voices to speak his name. Now, I'm looking at this, and immediately I'm thinking, this is bad. This is Borg. How does nobody else notice this? Yes. It's that, or all of a sudden, hell's opening and something's coming through. <laughs> but they're just like, oh, this is fine. This is normal. It's war. <laughs> I saw that and think, wow, there's a bat signal in the future. <laughs> <laughs> That's a way big reach for that light. So we get energy spike causing the console and view screens to stutter, and something comes through the rift. That reminded me of the big Pokemon, by the way. The big cloister. <laughs> yeah. And Rios calls for red alert. And, hey, get us out of here and get some distance. Yeah, that's going to happen. We yeah, knew immediately that, that wasn't going to go. Because the vessel comes out of the rift, emitting a shockwave that rocks the ship. Card and Seven stare at the ship and both come to the same conclusion. But Seven says it out loud. The ship is bored. How did you not figure this mess out? <laughs> like, well, it didn't look like a cube. No, it wasn't a cube, but you could tell it was definitely bored. I yeah. kind of felt it when they were like, help us, Picard. I'm like, oh, that's bored. Where are they coming from? Who's left? Yep. And they're like, let's go check it out. No, this is what happens in horror movies. This Please. is why people <laughs> die. Why? They go look in the cellar? Yeah. Run upstairs instead of out the front door. Yeah, that sort of thing. <laughs> so two things. That, Uh-oh. That, <laughs> yes, that's right. That ship has something akin to female anatomy. Just, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. That is true. Because, oh, never mind. Uh, you can bleep yeah. this out, too, because it doesn't open up. And I forgot what the other thing was. Oh, wait, yeah. <laughs> no, you know what? In comparison to Discovery, Steve and I cover, the kinetic energy of this is so electric. I'm like, you're si I'm sitting there at the edge of my seat because this is so exciting. The stakes are, are obviously so dire. And the involvement of the, you know what, you already know from their past what their involvement is with the Borg. And you're just, you're just like, it's a lump in your throat because these guys know what they're doing as far as writing going. Do you guys agree? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Did you want us to expand? Well, you could have expanded on it, but that's okay. Well, it was just, yes. Like, that was yes, emphatic. Yes, we were excited that you brought that up. It's very, okay. Thank you, then. <laughs> I'll grab the pom-poms next time. Be like, go, Dave, go. And come on. Okay. Well, I'm just going to set my phaser to you know what. Peter <laughs> <laughs> ships arrive to join the Stargazer, including Mustaker on the Excelsior, who informs Rias they are ready there to exist. That became one of the biggest things on the internet was to find the ship. You can go to YouTube and uh, there's plenty of... Uh, Recaps out there is like, this is this ship, this is this ship, this is right. this ship. You can see a Grissom class, the Excelsior class, I mean, on and on. It's pretty obviously the writers geeked out on this part, too. Oh, yeah. 
So Rios lays out the situation, and they were at the tip of the spear. Picard was the ranking officer, and the devil is calling your name. And asks what to do. Picard admits he doesn't know. Thanks. Thinking that what was out there could be the point of history turns. Yeah, I got that right. Seven reminds him of that the Borg assimilate, not asked to be assimilated. Good point. Gerardi thinks caution is warranted, but everything about the situation is pretty unique. The Borg, they know, have all been wiped out. Rios thinks it stands to reason that they would change tactic. Yeah, wiped out, huh? Hmm. Yeah, I'm thinking no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, from future? They came back in the past? That's a possibility. Oh my gosh, they're going to rewrite everything. With a certain number. Well, of course they are. Of course they are. Excuse so seven, Yeah. <laughs> Seven agrees, thinking they would resort to deception to achieve victory if it came to that. If they were wrong, Gerardi warns they would be depriving the Federation of an ally, something Picard concurs with. Wow, who thinks of that? Yeah. Seven is incredulous, pointing out, well, certainly not Seven. Seven is incredulous, pointing out that the Borg had wiped out entire species and killed and assimilated billions, including her parents. But not uh, people from uh, liquid space. Yeah. What was that, Species 8472? Something like that. Something like that. If she's wrong, they destroy a Borg ship, but if she's right, they did nothing that could spell the end of the Federation. Just then, Commander Moshe calls Rios to the bridge, saying reports in in song, reports that the ship is hailing them. The Borg are adamant there is no more time, exclamation point, and seeking to begin negotiations immediately with Picard alone. Picard asks how they propose to do so, and they respond they will send an emissary, their queen. Rios is adamant he's not allowing the Borg onto his ship and broadcast the fleet to raise shields. Moshe detects a single transport signal and attempts to beam on board, but Rios orders fire held as they couldn't get through the shields. <laughs> Seven urges them to open fire. I love her. <laughs> yes. Just shoot. Start shooting now. Shoot, shoot, shoot. Did I say shoot? Shoot. <laughs> Rio opened the channel, calling the Borg ship to cease its transport attempt or it would be fired upon. The Borg activates its cutting beam in response, allowing the transport to penetrate their shields. Moshe reports it is heading directly to the bridge. And that's where my theory comes in that uh, since they use Borg technology on that ship, uh, backdoor. Oh, yep. Rios orders his- said that. Oh, hmm? I just assumed that. I thought she what? said that something, or maybe Seven was saying, "Yo, hello." Yes, Borg, yes. Borg Seven Borg. was. Yep. Seven was not happy that they were using Borg parts and yeah. technology because it opens up vulnerability. Suckers. <laughs> Rio orders his bridge crew to arm himself and admonishes Moshe for not to fire prematurely. He was the uh, bridge hothead. Yeah. Discovery. Everybody's a hothead. <laughs> Throughout the ship, the, the crew arms themselves as Rios orders security teams to the bridge. Don't they have phaser rifles? Yes. And, yeah, then and where they, were they stored? Just in the hallway? You see them grabbing stuff. It's like, shouldn't that be somewhere, I don't know, more secure? At that, yeah. Well, eh, everyone, one big happy family. At that moment, the Borg Queen materializes on the bridge, but in a strange new form. Yeah, I loved it. Warrior nun outfit. She tells them the, the Borg wish peace, but first she requires power as she dock ox tentacles <laughs> lash out, stab into the consoles at the front. Seven opens fire, falling by Moshe, of course, but the Queen absorbs her phaser blast before projecting the energy back at Moshe, throwing him onto the deck. Take that sucker. The rest of the bridge crew begins fire, but with the same result. What do you guys think at first? Is it like, oh, is she killing him? Right. Yeah. I thought she was. I'm like, oh, she's killing him. That's bad. But she was avoiding hitting, like, the main group. Yeah, so she was just like, stunning him. Yeah. yeah. Rios calls for his crew to cease fire at seven checks on Moshe, and the queen was stunning the crew, not killing them. The computer reports isolinear fragmentation. Gerardi checks on the nearby console and reports that the queen is accessing the bridge modifications in the ship in order to seize control, you idiot. 
Not just of the Stargazer, but the entire fleet, idiots. Using the Stargazer as a hub to access the ship's command codes, nearly assimilating the ship. I think we'll get an answer to this, or a flashback later on, as to putting the board technology on there and how they were going to use it. And right. it may have something to do with Seven also, because Seven's my guess for the board queen. We'll see. Yeah. So, Seven insists to Picard that she cannot be allowed to have an entire armada. Yeah. With no options, Picard activates the auto-destruct sequence. As the timer counts to zero, the board queen tells him to look up. What? That's why He's... I was starting to think that something else happened to his parents. What? His mother became the board queen? Yeah, because I mean, like, <laughs> that was so random. Well, if you really know way out there, way out there, there could have been an assimilation where his mother was part of the collective. I doubt it, but hey, time travel? Yeah. There's so much happening. Anything yeah. is possible. Kind of a cheat, but it is fun. Yeah. Anyway, Picard stares at her in shock as the Stargazer explodes, or does it? Suddenly, Picard finds himself on the a broken cupola of his home on Earth, and he sees he is wearing a very different uniform. Black. He enters the main housing and more militaristic artifacts, including a portrait of himself in a black uniform. Walking into the kitchen, he shouts for Lyris, only to find a synth answering him instead, <laughs> telling him how the solar shields are holding and asking if he needed anything. Picard demands to know who he is, and he intends himself as Harvey. You guys ever see the movie Harvey? I did not. Yeah. Did you, Steve? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Harvey was an invisible rabbit. Yep. It's, it's a Jimmy Stewart film, and Jimmy Stewart talks to him through the entire film. Hey, Harvey. Okay, that's a Boomer reference. Sorry, we're a yeah. reference. <laughs> Picard asks again about Laris, and Harvey identifies it's a Romulan name, and asking if Picard wanted him to check the migrant rosters. Picard, visibly confused, asks what is happening, and asks some questions. Jean-Luc, a familiar voice, responds, Mon Capitan, how I've missed you. Picard looks up in disbelieving shock to find Q standing there, looking much as he did when they had last met 31 years earlier. Ouch. Yeah. Thanks for that. Q notes how much older Picard looked and snaps his finger to match himself now with white hair and a beard. Again, I, I like that they did that. Yeah, yes. he looks terrific. I had looked up John Delancey on IMDb. He wasn't getting a lot of work at all. No. He's like 70 years old or something, and he's basically doing nothing. I'm like, that's a damn shame. Yep. Thank you, Star Trek. Yes. <laughs> There's only one person distinctly not happy to see him, and that's Jean-Luc Picard. <laughs> <laughs> he reminds him of what he had said when he met the last time, the trial never ends. They both have such great, deep Shakespearean voices. Yes. Picard demands to know what he's doing there, and Q answered that Picard had talked a lot about second chances. Well, my friend, he concludes, welcome to the end of the road not taken. I know. It's like, what does it mean? And today, as we're recording, it's Thursday. I've watched the second episode already. And so it just gets juicier, my friends. It gets juicier. <laughs> of course it does. It's already an ale. Q in it. Yeah. There's going to be a whole bunch of wibbly wobbly, timey wimey stuff going on. <laughs> I yeah, hope so. Big surprise. Big surprise. I'm just saying. Yeah. The world oh. Picard knew <laughs> doesn't exist. Yeah. Oh, we've seen that. At before. least for a while. It may <sighs> return at the end. It may not. In uh, the original Star Trek series, which is one of the more classic ones they ever did, they all get thrown back in time to the 1930s. And Bones is the first one to go back. Yeah. So stupid, I can't remember the name of the episode. But Jackie Collins is in it, and Bones falls in love with her. And 
spoiler alert, she has to die. Otherwise, the United States becomes like a, a Nazi authoritarian society. Right. So this picks up in kind of like the same thing. Yep. See that one, Sean? Does not sound familiar, but it oh. does at the same time, if that a makes sense. See. It's like, a I must. feel like I know it, but I can't really wrap my head around someone has to look it up. My dear friend, I'll send you a link. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As season premieres go, Star Trek Picard's season two debut, The Stargazer, is a banger. If anyone had any doubts that this episode was going to be exciting and different than what was uh, expected, it feels like this episode was silenced the haters. Boy, I hope so. I don't, I don't think better. I saw it. I, it's better. I didn't see any haters out there. Shut the F up. Yeah. <laughs> don't make me use my particular phaser on you. <laughs> <laughs> With an utterly familiar Star trek feeling and fantastic complex new plot, Picard Season 2 feels like the Star Trek The Next Generation sequel everyone was hoping for. And that means we're going to get a lot of Easter eggs and references to the entire Star Trek franchise. In some ways, the Stargazer plays out like a short Trek feature film, which means there is a lot of packed into an episode that you might have missed. Yeah, probably. Here are all the Easter eggs and references we caught, including a few of them might have nothing to do with Star Trek. Red Alert, everyone. I love the Red Alert. I don't know why that's not on my phone. Yeah. <laughs> the Red Alert graphic the crap is... out of your wife? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Sean. Thank you. Are you having another another beer? <laughs> yes, problem with that. The Red Alert graphic is an updated version of the Red Alert graphic first seen on Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Another classic. Since then, it's been throughout the franchise, including the first two seasons of Star Trek Discovery. Terry Metalis, showrunner of Picard, season <laughs> two, has noted on Twitter in interviews that he's a big fan of the Kirk era Trek feature film, and this is one of the many visual nods we'll see to that time period. Good. A young Vulcan security officer is present at the start of the scene. He's clearly bleeding green blood. I love that. You guys love that. Well, I don't yes. love that he's bleeding, but at least I they love got it that right. they yeah kept it though. Yeah. Very specific. Oh, he's bleeding and it's green. Okay. Yeah. We're just pointing out that Vulcan having green blood is not an Easter egg, but Easter is coming, so if you want to paint him green, do it. However, in the 2014 Star Trek comic book called Star Trek Hive, a similar attack results in an unnamed Vulcan officer getting punked. Hive was written by Brandon Braga and Terry Metalis and Travis Fickett. Hey, did you guys see that Travis Fickett has a, a credit? No, no I, I missed that. that. He does. Yep. <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask my buddy Tear Bear about that. <laughs> 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 okay, wait, you better tag me if you call him Tear Bear. Tear Bear. Hey, Tear Bear. <laughs> Hopefully. Uh, I don't know if it's good or bad. He's going to listen to our episodes. Ah, it's probably <laughs> so, new opening credits and theme music. Picard Season 2 features a different set of images for its opening title sequence, as well as the up-tempo rearrangement of the main theme composed by Jeff Russo. Also, at the end of the credits, we see Jean-Luc uh, wearing a Starfleet combat as a change from Season 1. This is the first time since the new Star Trek show began airing in 2017 that one of the series has significantly changed both its opening title sequence and its opening theme music. New Boston Town. Yep. Finally, Orla Brady, who plays Laris, is billed as a part of the main cast. Another first. I like yeah. that. She's terrific. Yes, she is. <laughs> now to the time is on my side. Stones, baby. Oh, I, I am a Beatles guy. The song that Picard and Laris are blasting from the vineyard is the classic Time is on My Side, written by Jerry Rogovoy. It was made famous by the Rolling Stones version in 1964 for the same year that singer Irma Thomas released her superior version before the Stones. Was it superior, Steve? I would say yes. Okay. And this is the version we hear in this scene. It is also Well, she, she, she sure can sing well. Yeah. It is also notable that this diegetic music, which as part of Trek tradition, is pretty much the only way that pop, rock, jazz, or soul 
music occurs. Yeah, I know. That's so cool. I like that I like that they do the music like that. Yep. It's also a tradition in Shona and Terry Metalis' previous series, Twelve Monkeys, in which various pop, rock, and soul songs feature in the narrative, but also always in a gigantic version, meaning the characters hear the music too. I know that's awesome. He must be a, a big fan of vinyl. Because yes. it's always vinyl. Yes. And there's something about vinyl because it's a disc that's turning, like time turns or a clock turns or yep. a golden spiral. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. Yes, so are I you do. Trying to say that it again is another visual of things that are happening in this the whole show. Yes, turning <laughs> round. And yes, round. how symbolic! Around and round we go. So Picard's got a new wine and Jabon's death. So both the vintage of Picard's new wine and the revelation that Jabon has died tells us how much time has passed between season one and two. A year and a half. The label on new wine even says twenty four oh one. I am definitely gonna bottle of that. <laughs> So we're full of the year into the 25th century of the Star Trek timeline. That, that's interesting. Yep. Laris mentioned that she and Jabon were promised to each other at birth. I don't know if we're getting to it, but I love his nickname for her. This echoes a Vulcan tradition of Barothel, first introduced in the, the original series episode Time Amok. Boy, was that famous. Yep. References to Picard family in the flashback in which we see a very young Jean-Luc Picard. Was he wearing a beret or a different... No, he wasn't wearing a beret. No. Dude. No, it was like a little gangster hat. Yeah. Like, tan, <laughs> like a tam o shanter or something. His mother makes a reference to his father and his brother. She mentions Jean-Luc's brother toils away at school, which seems to imply that Robert is much older than Jean-Luc. No, almost nothing about Jean-Luc's father other than he was possibly an old-fashioned tyrant, apparently. Yeah. This episode... Yeah. What a shame. For this episode, however, there's a new suggestion of something darker. During one of the transitions in the episode, we see the entire local source in which the pulls back even more. The visual the visuality recalls that the opening of Star Trek the next year during the first two seasons. That was pretty interesting. Yep. And then we get the return of the Akira class, which I wondered about earlier. The USS Avalon appears to be an Akira class ship. I thought I know what they mentioned of Akira was, but I, I thought it was a Russian word, but it's not. I thought it was a Russian word for shark, but it's not. Right, yeah. This type of ship was first introduced in the Star Trek First Contact. You get, they're getting to be like Marvel here. Yes. <laughs> they're really pulling old threads together. Yeah. Well, if you can do it intelligently, please do. If you screw yes. it up, yeah, the please don't. The only I know, though, is anime, so that probably wouldn't help here. <laughs> so, a little Enterprise C&D talk. As glimpsed in the first few promo photos, Picard's study clearly has a model of the U.S. Enterprise NCC-1701C, which appears to be one of the models from the conference room on Enterprise E, made famous for one scene in Star Trek First Contact. Oh, it was one of my favorite scenes. Yes. Oh, you broke your little ship. In that film, Picard threw a hissy fit in the room and smashed some glass protecting those models, which prompted Lily to say, you broke your little ship. Which makes me wonder, really, you used glass? Shouldn't it yes. be just like, well, he guess he's old-fashioned. Whether or not this is the same model of the Enterprise-C isn't clear. On top of that, in a later scene, we see the famous painting from Picard's ready room, this one of the Enterprise-D, which we saw throughout the next generation. How did Picard get this one? Did he retrieve from the wreckage of D after it crashed in Star Trek Generations? We just don't know. Yeah, he had it beamed up. Yep. <laughs> he just replicated a new one. At yeah, why not? The kids made him one on uh, Picard Day. <laughs> <laughs> so, Lars makes a joke about how Picard's tea is now Earl Grey cold because he, she couldn't find him for a while. Ha <laughs> ha. He used to put a tracker on him. Yeah. 
This is the second time around the season premiere of Star Trek Picard made a joke about Jean-Luc's common order for Earl Grey Hot, which he says periodically throughout the next generation of Picard season one, Jean-Luc ordered tea, Earl Grey, tea cough. Later in that episode, Guinan jokes about Earl Grey piping hot. Yeah, should be piping hot. Picard gives Elnor a hardcover copy of the book written by Spock himself, which is apparently a memoir only about his time in the Starfleet Academy. If I was them, I would travel back in time and have him sign that book. Yes. <laughs> Spock would be like, I haven't written this. Just sign it. Yes. Trust me. Trust me. Yeah. It's a keeper. The title of The Many and, and the One clearly references the Vulcan maxim, the needs of the many outweighs the needs of the few or the one. However, telling that Picard notes that this was his memoir and not Spock's autobiography. Aha. In other words, Spock may have written several memoirs, but all sorts of different part of his life. Well, I guess I'm going to Amazon now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On to Elnor. Picard announces that Elnor is the first fully Romulan cadet in Starfleet Academy. The reason he says fully is that there have been other Starfleet cadets who had Romulan heritage. Savak was established as half Romulan in the Wrath of Khan novelization, while Picard famously served with the crewman Simon Tarsus, who was one quarter Romulan. Okay. However, Tarsus hit his true heritage in the next generation uh, episode, The Drumhead. Oh, that was a good one, too. Anybody want to see? I thought there was, crap, the one woman, or is she just the half Romulan? She was on. <sighs> yeah, that was generation. Savage. Oh, okay, okay. I think. Oh, 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 no. I thought Savage was, was Vulcan. Yeah. Well, oh, Savage God. was half Romulan in the movies. She was okay. half Romulan, okay. half Vulcan? Savage? Yeah. From, from Friends? <laughs> I was Savage. That's probably who I'm thinking. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the second Savage. Yeah, oh, okay. So let's see what's out there. Jean-Luc reveals that his mother was the person who gave him the phrase, let's see what's out there. The reference is the last moment of the Next Generation debut encounter at Firepoint, where Picard says, let's see what's out there. I'm gay. <laughs> Rio's holograms merge. So Seven says she never should have merged Rio's holograms. The reference to Picard season one, in which there were several different holograms of Rio's, all serving different functions, engineer, tactical officer, hospitality, and so on. Now it appears all those holograms infused into one hologram. Emmett, who would do that? Are you out of your mind? <laughs> like Seven just to... doesn't like to interface with more than one or two people, so mm, even holograms, right. nope. <laughs> nope. Uh, so, the reference to tachyons as a way to foreshadow space-time rips is old hat for Star Trek. However, referencing Hawking radiation is somewhat new for Star Trek radiation. That's what get my phaser going. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> In Star Trek Discovery 1, a Hawking radiation firewall is used on the USS Glenn as part of its spore drive. However, in the series 12 Monkeys, the concept of harking radiation is also a telltale sign of time travel and is mentioned frequently. Love it. Yes. The showrunner of Picard Season 2 is Terry Bear Metallus. <laughs> showrunner of the sci-fi channel 12 Monkeys Reboot. And that's the only 12 Monkeys Easter egg you'll get this season on Picard. Is it? No. I it's, doubt it. And that's not the only. <laughs> that's not what I read. I know. That's okay. not what it said. Oh, thank you, Steve. Can we go on to Raritan 4? Yep, yes. another 12 Monkeys reference. The planet Gerardi and Soji are visiting our Raritan 4. Grown. This is a reference to the Raritan National Laboratory in Sci-Fi's 12 Monkeys. The Raritan Lab was the home of Project Splinter, which made time travel possible in that universe. Ha! Take that, doubters. Yes. <laughs> Speaking of Deltons, nobody was. As the nice bald people from Soji and Gerardi were hanging out with Deltons. This is... Uh, Ilya's species from Star Trek The Motion Picture. Deltons had famously strong pheromones which humans found hard to resist. Not me. However, in this scene, Gerardi is drunk, so maybe she's immune. 
Yeah, right. Meanwhile, Soji's a Samsung, totally immune. That guy's like striking out. Who's left? Yes. <laughs> so we also learned that Gerardi didn't go to space jail. Dr. Gerardi mentioned she was cleared of it, murdering her previous boyfriend due to alien-induced temporary insanity. And it could have been a turn-off for that guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really? This reference is Picard Season 1, in which we learned that Commodore O had brainwashed Gerardi with a mind meld, his letter to killing Bruce Maddox. Guess what, people? I just saw Commodore O again on TV. She's on Berlin Station. Nice. You guys watch Berlin Station at all? No. No. Yeah, it's a spy drama that's on Apex. I'm like, she's the secretary to the uh, station chief. I'm like, oh my God, it's Commodore Orr. <laughs> oh, <laughs> she's the secretary? What happened? Anyway, aboard the USS Stargazer NCC-82893, Captain Rios is now in command of a newly commissioned USS Stargazer. Gerardi's joke about the pressure of legacy and the command with baggage is a reference to the fact that Jean-Luc Picard's first captaincy before the Enterprise was USS Stargazer. Wow, is she sharp or what? And this is with a, with a, uh, a belly full of whatever she was drinking. Yeah. She's got a sharp tongue, at least. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you know what that is? That's a little uh, frustrated lover talk right there, those two. <laughs> yeah. Just thought of a tinfoil hat theory. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the person out of foil in that role. <laughs> oh, oh no! I can always go to the supermarket. The first and only <laughs> on-screen appearance of Picard's Stargazer within the next episode, the battle. The image Picard looks at while the Starfleet Academy is of his ship. Although later in the episode, when Rio Seven Girardi and Picard have a conference about the Borg threat, we see models of the three versions of the Stargazer, which seems to establish one version of the ship existed in the TOS era for Picard. That's really everybody. I geek out over that. I think everybody loves that stuff. Oh yeah. Soon they'll want to go online and buy something. Where's my model? Yeah. The registry of the Stargazers NCC-82893, which essentially adds an extra digit to Picard's Stargazer, which was NCC-2893. Glad you noticed that one, Steve. Yeah. <laughs> so, as also a little talk of the Grissom, Haraku's Sulu, and the Excelsior. At Starfleet Academy, we hear the various cadets being assigned to different ships. The Grissom is a reference to astronaut Gus Grissom, but also the science ship of the same name of Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. I'm going to say I knew Gus Grissom. Of course, I didn't know Gus Grissom. Yes. But uh, he was one of the unluckiest astronauts in the original Seven, the Friendship yes, Seven, the Mercury absolutely. astronaut. When he came back to Earth, his Mercury capsule sunk. Almost sunk, yeah. Uh, and he was like waterlogged. And so his next capsule, he titled The Unsinkable Molly Brown. <laughs> and tragically, he came to a sad end when his next ship. Uh, never mind, I'm not going there. Yeah. Too sad. So, and there's also a ship named Haraku Sulu, who's pretty self-explanatory. That's awesome. I'm glad they honor previous characters. There's kind of a triple Sulu reference here, to the because Raffi and Elnor are going to be serving on the Excelsior, which was Sulu's ship in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, which we even see in the image of the old Excelsior on a blue placard next to the old Stargazer. Finally, when Raffi arrives at the Temporal Rift, she hails the Stargazer from the new Excelsior and says Excelsior is standing by ready to assist. This echoes Sulu's line from the Undiscovered Country when he sends a message to the Enterprise saying, we stand ready to assist you. And that's when I start wiping away a few tears. Because <laughs> I'm a big baby. So Picard's getting a new job and he's talking about the Kobayashi Maru. This is where he gets Kirk running naked through the bridge. Although it seems Jean-Luc is still retired, he is now a Chancellor of Starfleet Academy. That's fitting. He mentions to Raph he wants to update the Kobayashi Maru, which of course references the Star Trek II Wrath of Khan in which we learn the Kobayashi Maru was an unbeatable test designed to make Cadet Space a no-win scenario. 
is Picard planning to make this test even worse? How could it be even worse? He's going to make it into one of the things like his crew had to deal with. That's what it is. I just said, everyone's going to die. Your family's going to die. Their relatives are going to die. Your planet's yeah. going to die. So don't screw up. Okay. <laughs> anyway, Guinan's got a new 10 forward, although it's not made explicitly clear. The address for Guinan's new bar is 10 forward street. Wow, I didn't get that. Yeah, well, we didn't quite catch the street sign. Oh, the bar appears to be called 10 forward as a reference to the bar aboard Enterprise D in the next generation. In the TNG bar, it was also called 10 forward because it was on a deck 10 of the ship facing forward. <laughs> was, that, uh, so, was that in San Francisco? I assume so. Yes. Because isn't yeah. there so Starfleet Academy supposed to be? Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. That'd be cool. So we get a little insight into El Orion's age. Picard mentions that El Orion's age very slowly, but Guinan corrects him saying, only if we choose to. This means that Guinan can appear to be older if she wants to. This echoes a similar moment when Q at the end of the episode whether he, he alters his appearance to be closer to Jean-Luc's current age. Kind of a burn. Yeah. Although he, he did look pretty convincing. I don't know if it was as good as Luke Skywalker. Yeah, I'm saying before. no. I would say <laughs> no also, yeah. Kind of decides that she and Picard are going to drink Saurian brandy. Hooch. This is a OG Star Trek base food that goes all the way back to the original series, most notably The Enemy Within. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> You're drinking booze in The Enemy Within? I wonder why. There are worse things than being dead. Guinan tells Picard there are worse things than being dead better than anybody. This is not so subtle a reference to Picard having been assimilated by the Borg. Wow, everyone's getting a burn to the old guy. Leave, him, leave the old guy alone. <laughs> so when Picard comes into the bridge of the Stargazer, we hear the familiar nautical bosun whistle. Thank God. Yep. <laughs> this has been a Trek tradition since the original series, but it, per, perhaps the most prominent in the Wrath of Khan and the Undiscovered Country. Yeah, it wouldn't be Star Trek unless you heard that bosun's whistle. At least one. Yes. Did we hear it in the new movies? Now I'm wondering. Gosh, I don't think so. Not I don't the, think so. Uh, not, not, not since Star Trek 19, we haven't. Okay. So, anyone feeling positively positronic? Agnes Girardi says to John Luke, Well, mister, I think you look positively positronic. Oh, please stay drunk through the entire series. <laughs> this is a very clear reference to Picard having been given a new synth android body at the end of Picard season one. And Girardi would know she was the cybernetist who helped him make John Luke into that cybernetic body. Oh, what else did she equip him with? Yeah. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. <laughs> uh, as was a, fully functional, just that. Fully functional. <laughs> yeah, she did say that. That's right. Yeah. She saved, saved a few things. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Why, is this a family show? Is this a family show? As the crew debate whether or not to take the Borg up on their offer to join the Federation, which is a leap, Gerardi notes that Borg, we know, have been effectively disseminated, functionally hobbled. This referenced several things at once. First, Picard, the defeated the Borg in first contact, which certainly slowed them down. Second, in the next generation, we were given the impression that Hughes' individuality had severed various rogue Borg from the collective. True. Third, Admiral Janeway's time travel stunt destroyed the Borg transwarp hub in the Voyager finale endgame. Finally, Card Season 1 certainly made it seem like Borg cubes could be taken offline by a botched assimilation of a few individuals. Basically, taking together all these pieces of information tell us the same thing. Each of these defeats has functionally hobbled the Borg. <laughs> or or have Yeah. <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. If anyone knows the back door, it's the Borg. Yes. 
<laughs> so the queen sets for stun. Seven realized the new Borg queen isn't killing any of the Starfleet crew because she's seven and nine. <coughs> seven and nine. And instead stunning them. Not exactly an Easter egg, but something fairly fascinating nonetheless. With What does it mean? Well, I just told you. <laughs> when Picard orders the self-destruct of the Stargazer, the final command is zero, 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 destruct, zero. Which is basically every password I use online. <laughs> this comes from the TOS and the search for Spock, which established that 000 destruct zero is the final command to blow up the ship. So do you guys know Eats Piaf at all? We do. Uh, I do in my family because yes. Nancy's side is the French side. So believe me, there's a lot of vinyl with Eats Piaf on it. Yep. The French music playing as a stargazer is destroyed is a song sung by Edith Piaf. She was one of the most famous singers on the planet from the 40s to the 50s. Oh, she had a nickname. The Little Sparrow, the Young Sparrow, something like that. She, she was not only famous singer, she was one of the more desirable people on the planet. She was like yep. this one of those, because of her voice, everyone wanted to have, well, every guy, well, okay, everyone wanted to have a relation, <clears throat> relationship with her. <laughs> when Picard wakes up in what appears to be an alternate universe, the mysterious atrium has all its glass intact. In the present of the normal timeline, we see all the glass is broken, but we don't know why. Picard's servant, Harvey, is the same since bottom we saw Picard season one, as in season one. The unit F8 Harvey is played by Alex Steele. Here's a paycheck, Alex. Enjoy. Yes. <laughs> you in the trial. When Q first appears to Picard, he seems to look pretty much how Q looked in 1994. <laughs> We're going to get a bottle of that. But then Q decides to catch up, and it becomes the age that John Delancey is now. Still handsome, bastard. Q's reference to the trial never end comes up from the Next Generation finale, All Good Things, in which Q said, you just don't get it, John Luke. The trial never ends. I don't know if I always agree with that. Like, please, stop it, godlike person. Don't you? Yes. <laughs> Basically, Q is still has humanity on trial and is basic savagery, making Picard Season 2 effectively a direct sequel to both Encounter at Firepoint and All Good Things. Is that tired to you guys, or is it clever? What, bringing Q back to the same thing? Yeah, saying the trial never ends. If it never ends, it never ends. So even if there's no resolution to this season, then if it never ends, I'm like, come on, man. Right. Right. Do you love it or do you hate it? Or is it somewhere in between? I still think there's more to it than just that. Yeah. Is why I like it. I I don't think it is the a basic Q plot to have Picard save the world again, but it it may turn out to be that way. But yeah. I think it's more focused on Picard than humanity. Oh, what if it's more focused on Q than anyone? There you could. Oh. I was gonna say I unfortunately I don't know if I should say anything because I seen episode two. <laughs> no. So, yeah. yeah, that's why I'm feeling that it, it's not necessarily about humanity at this point. Yeah, agreed. That's Easter. all I'm going to say. <laughs> yep. Well, we do have some feedback. Our friend Fred from the Netherlands has provided his thoughts on this episode. So let's take a listen. Hello, Steve and Dave. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Picard Season 2, Episode 1. Very nice that this series is back. I immediately liked it better than Star Trek Discovery, which is also running, of course. And I gave it an 8 on IMDb. Actually, I have more feeling of 8.5. So why not giving it a 9? Well, perhaps saving these high notes for episodes to come. Starting the episode with the nice connection between Laris and Picard. But he keeps it away. I really wonder if when the series ends, they will end up 
together and he will see that he does need a more intense connection although his age i found it a little weak that he just went to gaiden for consulting about these matters about his personality about relationships etc on the other hand if you have questions and you have somebody like that it's of course gaiden he would go to i hope she will play a bigger role than just this in uh, the series and it's not just a cameo i always like probably most everybody love the facial expression possibilities whoopi goldberg has so nice so recognizable her age doesn't matter in that then about the aging aspect of Q and Gaiden, I think they did it nicely on one hand. So what do you do? So Q adapted. He started young and he was very quickly adapted to Jean-Luc's age. Nicely done. But also in Gaiden, where she adapted herself as well to the surroundings more or less. Although her species grows very slowly old. And I think we can expect something like that for Data as well. Well, it's a way to get these old people or older people into this series. But it's a bit of a trope. On the other hand, what do you do? So at least they explain it instead of saying nothing about it. A bit confusing that the rogue captain, pirate captain, Rios suddenly is a full Starfleet captain on the Stargazer. Okay, this is also being explained, etc. And of course, one of his other iterations is still working with Seven of Nine. When they meet the Borg Queen, of course, the discussion starts between shoot to kill, like Seven says, and first have a discussion, like in Discovery as well with the DMA, like in all Star Trek probably. Okay, besides all my little criticism points, still an 8 out of 10. I really liked it. Okay, that was all for now. Greetings, all the best. Fred from the Netherlands. Well, thank you very much for the, your wonderful feedback, Fred. Yeah, I looked up the Netherlands. I just did a Google search and it's, it's shaped like a Borg cube. <laughs> <laughs> Catch up, Fred. There's a new shape now. You need a new ship, buddy. Good feedback, of course. Yeah, I think we all agreed that they pulled off the, the looks of Q and Guinan pretty mm. well. I mean, yeah. we kind of cringed when we saw the young Q because <laughs> it wasn't as good as we've seen. But it didn't last long enough to where you could really yeah. zoom in on it to see all the flaws. So <laughs> Doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have Q back. That's the important thing. At least he's not standing outside like Luke Skywalker and getting his hair blown in the wind like, oh, my God, how'd they do that? Right. <laughs> and it Spoiler was alert. quick. It was quick. Yeah. Yes. It was like, bam, and then explained. So that's what I said earlier. I really like the fact that that happened that way. Does Q take upon a uh, humanoid form just for us? Or does he really look like that? I, I kind of doubt it. I mean, if he's that like a super superior being, why would he look like a human? I right. I think it's it only for us. Yeah. Because wasn't there the one episode where yeah like, Corbin I Vincent was... sticks his head <laughs> through the shuttle and goes, ooh, what's this? Right. <laughs> but then at one point he's like, I was the white post and I was the chair or whatever. <laughs> like when they were talking about what all the different Q Collective had, had been previously. Right. Yeah. I've been a light post. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it was amazing to see that Picard Season 2 has started off so well that we hope it 
continues to just get better and better, and I think it will with Terry at the helm. Yeah, with time travel, it's going to be a double switch. It's going to be a yes. back and forth, like a boomerang that you don't expect. There has yep, to be. Absolutely. And Terry's one of the best at doing that. So yeah. we yeah. are excited for the rest of this season and, and season three for all that matter as well, because I really think this is going to feel more like Star Trek than Discovery, at least. Now, I still have my fingers crossed with Strange New World. I think that will feel more like Star Trek as well. The uh, teaser for that, just was it, did it come out today or yesterday? Yes, I think it did come out today. Yeah, a little underwhelming, but not right. bad. It's still exciting. Yes. I, lo- yeah. I love the musical score, but and it's just a tease. Call back to uh, the Kirk-like tunic. Yes. Well, Fred, we once again thank you for your feedback and looking forward to hearing your thoughts again in a future episode. Thanks, Fred. Well, we'd love to hear your thoughts on each and every episode this season. Our deadline for feedback is 10 p.m. Eastern every Friday during the season. You can send your feedback via email or audio to contact us at fangirlzone.com. And don't forget to go to www.fangirlzone.com and click on the contact link where you can find all the ways to get a hold of us through all of our social media. And there's a lot. If you want to talk to us via Twitter when this is going down every Thursday, you can go to at Sally or Steve at the real underscore ID underscore Dave, <laughs> which maybe he needs to change that to Redshirt Dave. Yeah, at, maybe so. <laughs> at Jetta528 or at FGZ Podcast and tell us all of your thoughts about what's going on on screen. I was trying not to do that because I know not everybody watches at the same time. Yeah, but totally. now that we're going to be on here talking about it, I'm going to do it. I'm going to talk about it because, oh my God, there's so much stuff happening. Okay, sorry. Okay. I was just going to say, tell us where you got your phaser set to. Is it? Is there, such a, is there such a thing as bummed? I got my phaser <laughs> set to stunning. Whoa. <laughs> or sarcastic. I mean, either yeah. way. <laughs> snarky. It's a full snark. <laughs> I don't know what that tastes like. <laughs> Freeze review and rate us on iTunes. Good ratings and reviews help other fans of the show find us, as there are a lot of Star Trek Picard podcasts out there. Tell your friends, and I hope you like our podcast, and don't forget to check out the other great Fangirl Zone podcast. The second episode is on March 10th and is entitled Penance. So until then, remember... I'm Sean Fangirl <laughs> and I will one day have a commission. Aw. This is Chief Engineer Steve. There you are. I've been looking everywhere for you with a cup of what is now definitely Earl Grey Cole. Out. This is Richard Dave, and I put Laris's statement, where is the heart after all this constant motion into the Universal Translator? You know what she's really saying? It's not the meat, it's the motion. I love you, big ears. <laughs> God.